Are you back home now? I am. Mm. I'm back home in my office mm-hmm. at a comfortable 16 degrees. Yeah. <laughs> we could have an entire episode addressing the thermostat follow-up, but I don't want to do that. And I want to tell you why. <laughs> I, tell you what, I want to tell you why I don't want to do that. I can't recall getting so much follow-up about a specific thing in a long time. Like, you know, we get lots of follow-up for, like, the entire conversation, but everyone just sending in follow-up for one specific thing. Now, I want to give you just, like, a brief overview of the feedback that we've got. It has ranged from using Faraday cages to how to rewire a thermostat to if it's legal to rewire a thermostat to if it's dangerous to rewire a thermostat to a variety of things that people have written into which feel incredibly prone to causing fires, like using a heat lamp against a curtain, to how easy this would be for you to do to replace it, to how hard it would be for you to do to replace it, to how simple it would be to trick the Wi-Fi to how it would be impossible to trick the Wi-Fi to whether you were breaking some kind of international law or whether it should be your right to do it. That is the full summarization of the follow-up we have received and I will not address any of it because I don't want to. Yeah, I don't know why the topic of what temperature is comfortable really brings absolutely everybody out in full force. (laughs) My favorite thing is the people that, and this is happening a lot in the Discord, people will be talking about it. And you could tell the moment in which people hear what temperature you want. Mm -hmm. It's like people are talking about it and like, oh, you know what? I agree with Gray. You should be able to do this. Like, wait, 16 degrees? This is the thing that I've seen. (laughs) <laughs> many, many times people are continually surprised about your temperature. <laughs> well, I mean, okay, just, just look, we don't need to rehash this entire mm. thing. But in my defense, two things. One, I will remind people that this is a working trip for me. And when I am working, I'm moving a lot. The amount of pacing that I do is huge because I'm just thinking about stuff. People are totally right. Like that is a very cold temperature to just sit still at. But that is not what I'm doing. It was funny. My wife was just was commenting on how often she got the little workout updates for me where it's like, oh, your husband just finished an indoor walk of seven miles. And she knows I'm just pacing back and forth in this like 10 foot space. Okay, that's a good justification (laughs) for 16 degrees. So that is part of the reason is I'm just I'm very active. And then the other reason is even if you set the thermostat at 16 and even if the thermostat says it's working to get the room at that, as we have visited many times, hotels can never reach that temperature. They're always striving to get there, but never actually get there. It's like Xenos thermostat. That's what it's like. But yeah, lots of feedback. And that's the end of it. <laughs> I mean, Mike, of course, no, that's not the end of it. It's, it's it's only the end of it until I go on the next graycation. And you can be sure, one way or another, I'll be planning ahead for that. So when we spoke last, you were on a graycation. How was the result of the graycation? I know you only just got home again, so it was a, quite a long one. Was it valuable? Yeah, I think this might have been the longest one I've ever been on. If it wasn't, it was close. Well, from my memory, I mean, you could tell me if I'm wrong. I think it depends on what you're classing at here, because I remember when you were lost in the wilderness for a really long time. Like, you just kept adding time onto a counter of going to visit various places in, like, the West and stuff. Yeah, like that. that's that, that's different. That's different. Yeah, that's I've done exploratory I don't think that trips. would necessarily count as a graycation as such. You were just, like around yeah i'm trying to remember i think the the longest trip i ever 
took where I was just away from being home on my own was like a couple months, maybe pushing towards three months. Yeah. But that's different because, yeah, like you said, I'm like chaining a bunch of stuff together. I think like why I'm fairly certain this is the longest one of these. So again, like what am I specifically talking about here? So when I say this term like graycation, I mean, it is this dedicated work trip. There's nothing else happening. I'm not seeing anybody. I'm not doing anything in the local town. I'm just like finding a hotel room and locking myself in there to work. And part of the reason these trips kind of have a built-in end to them is you can only sustain that for so long. Mm -hmm. There are always super productive periods of time, but it always feels to me like 10 days is normally the maximum amount that I can do for this kind of stuff before I start to be like, okay, I'm at the end of this. Like, I can't push this anymore. But this trip was just going really well, so I kept extending it. So like I said, I think it was about two, two and a half weeks in the end, which is really long for me. And yeah, I don't know. For On this one, I just kept having this feeling like, I think at all scales, in-depth work just really benefits from how long can you just concentrate on this task? And I think maybe part of the reason this one also lasted longer than it normally did is because I was switching between two things. I was working on video stuff for the channel, but I was also doing a lot of work for Cortex brand, like a bunch of really complicated stuff with mm. the Stockatron spreadsheet that we have to like manage some of our behind the scenes logistics. And I think maybe it was the bouncing between those two kind of allowed me to stay longer than I otherwise would have. Like I wasn't burning out on just the one thing. I kind of could extend it by having the two. Yeah, I don't know. I've always just been like a huge fan of try to have big blocks of uninterrupted time. And I think that really matters. Like on the scale of a day, try to have blocks of time. And on the scale of a week, right, try to have blocks of time. And this is just me now doing the most extreme version possible, which is like, no, just clear the calendar for two weeks and try to work on something. And yeah, it was really great. There's a video project that it won't be anything that people guess because I haven't spoken about it publicly. But there's a video project that has been on my list for like, God, I, I, I want to check what the original note is. But it, it must be like eight years now as a thing that I've wanted to do. But there's something kind of complicated about how to execute it. And this graycation was the time where it's like, okay. I can just sit down and kind of work out all of the details of how is this going to work in a video in practice in a very complicated way. I have by far the craziest Obsidian canvas sheet that I've ever made to like mm. connect all the different parts of this thing before. And I think this video would have stayed on my, this is an interesting idea list for like years and years if I hadn't done this trip where I could just focus on this one thing, keep it all in my head. And as a result of just not having any other distractions or any other interruptions and being able to like mull this over, I came up with a bunch of interesting solutions for different parts of it that had always been kind of stumbling blocks hmm. in the past. So is this an animated video? Yeah, yeah, it's it's going to be an animated video. Okay. I wasn't sure like the complexities. Are they like physical or just narration storytelling? Yeah, it, it's kind of like the storytelling problem, hmm. right? Like so, sometimes you just have a bunch of stuff and you go like, God, how do you even try to talk about this? Mm -hmm. People will see when it's out. But it's it will be very obvious to everyone like, oh, this was a complicated thing to make, even though the kind of 
story of it is very simple. And as always, in retrospect, there's a bunch of stuff that like once you see how it's done, it's sort of obvious. You're like, oh, that's that's like an obvious idea. But trying to work out how to do it like when you haven't got the answer already, it's like it's not obvious. So, yeah, it was great. I like walked away from this trip with like script for this video done. I have just like a ton of audio to record. And that's what I'm going to do over the next few days and then pass it off to animation. And so like... I genuinely don't feel like I'm jinxing it. It's, this is like very on target as a September video for like, great, the writing is done. I know people sort of think that I'm crazy for doing these kinds of trips, but they are very clearly net positive And I have a very high success rate of them going really well for like, there was something that I was having a hard time finishing or figuring out, or it's just like a big complicated project. And I think it kind of, freeze up RAM so you can hold more in your head at once and then yeah. make connections that you might not have made otherwise. I am like a real weirdo on these trips because I, I like I realized when uh, I saw my wife after it was over having to do the thing of like, oh, right. Aside from like some interactions with the hotel staff and the Deliveroo drivers bringing me my dinner. Like, I haven't spoken to anyone on this trip. It's just, it's very, like, in my own head, and then I have to come out of it at the end of it. <laughs> no, no, no. Like, I'm trying to find a way to, like, because you made me think of, like, silent retreats or whatever. I've been intrigued by those kinds of things, yeah. Yeah, th- I know this is a, a thing. I, actually, we recorded Connected yesterday, and I don't remember how it came up. Mm-hmm. Federico said, like, oh, I should try a silent retreat. And I was like, I don't think I could last on a silent retreat. Why don't you think you could last? Because I can't stop talking. Like, that's kind of my problem, mm-hmm. you know? And so, like, I feel like I would need a noisy retreat. As well as it's just like, <laughs> just let me be really noisy for a week. <laughs> I don't think they have noisy meditation retreats. I feel like that's the opposite of, oh, of what's going that, that's on. The, uh, what is that? where you scream like that scream therapy like primal therapy is, is that, that what it's called feel, like pri- is it like called primal scream that's what you want for your meditation retreat <laughs> no, but i always remember you've have you ever seen the movie pirates of silicon valley uh, a long time ago yeah. yeah it's like the it's i think like made for tv movie about steve jobs and bill gates which is actually like really good mm-hmm. there is a moment where the the steve jobs character is doing primal scream therapy and i always imagine that but anyway <laughs> What I was kind of angling towards is like people do these things. I'm not really sure why, why someone would do a, a silent retreat. Maybe it's just like a way to just like not have to interact with people, maybe find a new way to communicate with people. I'm not really sure. Like, but it's just the way that you describe the gracations is like maybe you are getting out of those what some people get out of the silent retreat because like you're not communicating with people. It's like it like removes that as a thing you need to do. And you're just doing everything it is that you want to do. It's just like an interesting, I think, byproduct of it more than anything else, that you're just not having to talk to anyone at all. The silent retreats, the impression that I've gotten, and the reason I was interested in them a little bit was, I've only ever heard them in the context of meditation. So the impression that I get is that the silent retreats are a way for people who are having a hard time with meditation to like boot Mm. into how to do this faster. And that by not being able to, it's like the being silent is forcing you to be entirely within your own head. And so that like is a fast track into meditation stuff. I eventually decided that meditation is just not for me. And so I kind of lost interest in ever doing something like that. But yeah, I think there's a sort of parallel in what I'm doing with trying to just 
remove all the outside distractions of life. From my perspective, though, it's it's really this feeling of like, it makes it much easier to hold the entire project in my head at once. You know, it's, it's like whenever you're working on something difficult, there's there's like this period of like, okay, you get up in the morning and you're going to work on the thing. And there's always a little bit of like, right, let me load it back up into my head. And I think just this kind of really intense working time really removes that boot up process because it's like, no, no, this is all I was thinking about all day. And then I went to bed and then I got up in the morning and it feels like a real continuation of what happened before. I think people just don't realize how extreme I'm being on these things. Like I'm not watching TV. I'm not watching movies. I always bring some books Mm. with the idea that I'm going to read them, but I basically never do with a little asterisk that I finished a business book on this trip, but like fiction, I think like, Oh, I'll, I'll have a novel with me to read. It's like, I never do. I never do that at all. It's just entirely working on the thing and pacing and sometimes walking around outside and coming back. I think that's why it's like, you can hold a complicated project in your head and never have to put it down and then never have to like get it all back in your head while you're working on it. This episode of Cortex is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform for building your brand and growing your business online. You can stand out with a beautiful website, engage with your audience and sell your products, services, or even the content that you create because Squarespace has got you covered with everything you need all in one place. With Squarespace, you can take advantage of professionally designed website templates. They have a design for every category and use case. Plus, you can customize your look, update content, and add features to fit your unique needs. You can make any Squarespace template do exactly what you want so your idea, brand, or business can stand out on every device. This has been made even easier with the introduction of Fluid Engine, Squarespace's next-generation website design system, so you can unlock your creativity more easily than ever before. You can organize all of your content in their asset library. You can upload, organize, and access all of your content all in one place. No more scrambling to find the right image. You can manage all of your files from one central hub and use them across the Squarespace platform to get your stuff done. Because it's not just websites. You can stand out in any inbox of Squarespace's email campaigns. Encourage your visitors to sign up as email subscribers and start them on the journey to becoming loyal customers. You just start with an email template and customize it by applying your brand ingredients like your site logo your colors all of that stuff plus they have built-in analytics to measure the impact of every send when i have something i want to put online squarespace is where i go first it's where i've been going for 15 years because when i have that idea i just want to make a website for it i don't want to jump through a thousand hoops do things that i'm uncomfortable with i find complicated squarespace make it incredibly easy for me to just go and put my ideas out to the world and that's where you should be going too Go to squarespace.com slash cortex. You can sign up for a free trial there. Go in and build your site, play around with it, and just see exactly how Squarespace is going to fit into your workflow. Then, when you're ready to launch your website, go to squarespace.com slash cortex and use the code cortex to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That is squarespace.com slash cortex and the code cortex when you decide to sign up to get 10% off your first purchase and show your support for the show. Our thanks to Squarespace for the support of this show and all of Relay FM. I will say, related to that business book, there was one thing I was very happy was sort of different on this trip is of course being in this hotel for like two and a half weeks quite obviously only ever leaving the room to go get coffee and pick up 
the meals that are being delivered to me in the lobby. I stand out very fast to the staff. They just notice me. And I think quite rightly, after a certain period of time, you could tell the staff is like, what is this guy doing? Right? Like, what is yeah. this guy's just like living in our hotel? Mm-hmm. And it's extra weird because I was staying in a really touristy location. So everyone else in that hotel was clearly there for touristy stuff. And then there's me, right? The one person who's not. The air conditioning guy. <laughs> right. The air conditioning guy. The guy yeah. who was there on day one. Mr. Freeze over here. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We only ever see him go to the gym and go to the coffee machine. Those are the two things he does. And then he, he picks up the deliveries. That's it. Housekeeping? No, he doesn't want it. Please don't come into the room. And so one of the members of staff, I imagine someone who like drew the short straw, clearly tried to like work up a conversation with me to be like, what are you doing in this hotel? Right. Like, we just want to make sure everything's okay. You know, the housekeeping staff hasn't been in. What are you doing in there? It felt to me like it was the friendly version of the time in Las Vegas where they brought security to my hotel room for the same reason. They're like, we need to know what's happening you inside know, this room. I was about to say, like, oh, I heard. I forgot that was you. Because <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that was, was a thing of, like, they needed to make sure there wasn't something real bad going on, right? So like, yeah, they, yeah, they of will course. Come in. in Vegas, they will, if, you, if housekeeping can't get in over a certain period of time, they're just going to come in. They're just coming in. Yeah, it was the manager and a very big man behind him in yeah. Las Vegas. Just wanted to check out the room. <laughs> I was like, "Oh, I'm just on Gray Master time, so my, like the housekeeping schedule and my schedule hasn't overlapped." So yeah, anyway, like the guy who drew the short straw sort of clearly wanted to strike up a little conversation with me while I was getting coffee to be like, "So what are you doing?" And I was very happy because I had a completely legitimate answer. I was able to. It's because like I don't want to say what I'm really doing, right? Like, oh, uh, I'm, I'm like a. I'm writing all this time, right? Because that is like, what do you write? And I don't want to have to say any of these things. So I was able to say the truth, which is, oh, I'm a logistics manager for a company. Oh, we finally got into it. <laughs> I, fi- I was so happy. I was yeah. like, what I do is I work on logistics spreadsheets, but they're really complicated. Like they're hundreds of thousands of rows of calculations. And so I find it easier just to lock myself in a room and work on these big spreadsheets and like without interruption. So that's what I'm here for. I'm just like work. And I, and I was, I was so happy because I could see like in his head, he went, ah, boring, <laughs> boring nerd, right? Like he yeah. hit the two check boxes and then they're like, this guy, no problem we don't have to worry yep. about it story checks out <laughs> yeah That's I, I also can imagine right i fit the look of a person who's like i'm working on these spreadsheets would you like to know more about my spreadsheets no i would not like to know more about your spreadsheets maybe sir. less time to... <laughs> in the gym though i feel like to fully complete i think it can still check out because they realize like they don't know i'm pacing for miles back and forth right that's true so that's true. from their perspective this is the only physical activity that i'm doing mm. and also, if they're checking, if they're spying on me, right, with the security camera that's in the gym, I'm not down there lifting massive weights, right? Okay. Like, you know, I'm I'm at the very small end of those barbells for the weights that I'm doing. So it still checks out for the nerd story. I was very happy to have the first real instance of being able to report that, like, I'm a logistics manager. Like, nothing interesting to see here. Move right along. This is kind of incredible because... 
this has actually just been a weird thing where like a joke that we had years ago has come true. Like we had a conversation years ago about like explaining what you do in a situation where you just don't want to deal with the follow-up questions, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? Because it's like, you know, we I have this like, oh, I'm a podcaster. What podcast? Uh, yeah, oh, exactly. oh, what is it? Like, what do you do? Like you, you record, it's like, yeah, I have a podcast production company. Like, I'm, so what is your show? And it's like, no, I have a bunch. And I'm like, what are they about? <laughs> and I'm like, it's like tech and creativity and people go, Oh, and then the conversation ends. So sometimes mm-hmm. it's just easier to say a different thing. So like for me now, I say like, oh, I run a product design company and, and like we make notebooks and stuff. And that, that's the thing I'm, I feel like I can have more interesting conversations with people about mm. because everyone can understand that rather than like, so I record podcasts with people in America, mostly about technology. And it's like, I don't want to have this conversation is what people's eyes say to me. And so we we had a conversation about this years ago of like how to try and explain what you do. And back then I said that like I was an advertising logistics manager because I managed the logistics of ads. And you were like, oh, that sounds good. It's like an idea. And it's now it's taken all this time. And now you are actually legitimately a logistics manager for a company that produces productivity tools. Yeah, I used to have an answer that I, I stumbled around with like advertising, kind of, but like it never worked. I never liked it. it. It's also the thing of like, I just don't want to straight up lie about what I do, right? No, because it's silly. It's silly to do. It's also a thing of like, why keep track of this in your head? Also, boy, are you in for 10 times more trouble like if someone follows this up at the hotel and now it's like the weird guy lied about what he does for a living. So I just I never wanted to do that and I just never had a satisfying answer. But that that's why this logistics one, I was like, oh my God, it's completely legitimate. I really am working on a spreadsheet for like hours at a time in this hotel room. This is like a perfectly legitimate, maximum boring answer that I could give to people now when they ask about my work so i was very happy about that because that's what we're going to do in the show anyway right like right it probably won't be the ad sound it will be like the that one yeah yeah yeah, yeah. we'll do the, yeah that's that's a little thing. ting ting or i don't know i don't know how it goes do you have any- <laughs> what was that one wait how does our how does our not ad break sound go i can't think of it it is blue loop yeah no 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 it's that you're doing the that's the ad sound right but the one where it's just moving to the next topic is it's almost like the highest note is reversed oh okay (laughs) yes i've edited this show many times and i still can't like pull it into my head what that sounds like that sound sometimes you don't hear it the most uses of that sound the like change topic sound go with more text yeah which you you don't hear that because i edit in when you're done yeah, but I still hear the sound. I listen to the show when it goes live. Like, I, I hear the sound. I didn't know you did that. I hear the sound. Okay. I just can't think of what it is. But whatever. This could be a topic change now. It's September. September. September is Childhood Cancer Awareness Month. And for the fifth year in a row, we are once again, wow. as a community, coming together at Relay FM to support the life-saving work of St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. St. Jude have a simple mission. Their mission is to keep working until no child dies from cancer. With your support, we'll be one step closer to that day. One cure closer, one child closer. So we, over the last five years, have raised $2.2 million for the kids of St. Jude. (sighs) Wow. Which is an incredible thing to achieve and I think is an even more incredible thing to achieve considering the size of our community. 
it is an absolutely obscene amount of money. Yeah. And we've already started very strong. We're rec- actually recording this episode on the last day of August, and we've passed a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, I was, I was just loading it up, and it <laughs> yeah. just flipped over to a hundred and three thousand dollars raised. And mm-hmm. you started how many days ago? Uh, on Monday, so like Monday, th- right? Three or four days ago. Every year, it, like you said, it's incredible just like how generous all the listeners are yep. with this as as a donation. It's every year I'm shocked by the results, and it's incredible. The generosity is so incredible of people and. I think it it works, you know, this is a charity that does incredible stuff and we have such a personal connection to it. You know, we've mentioned this before, but my co-founder, Stephen, his son, Josiah, uh, Josiah's life was saved by St. Jude. He was born of a brain tumor and without the work of St. Jude, we don't know what would have happened. St. Jude is an incredible place and they looked after Josiah the same way that they look after hundreds, thousands of children and they beat these cancers. They beat these life-threatening diseases. When St. Jude was established, it was opened in 1962. At that time, childhood cancer was considered to be basically an incurable thing, cancer in general, but especially childhood cancer. And the treatments that have been developed at St. Jude have helped to push the cancer survival rate from 20% in children to more than 80% in the years that it's been open, in the 60 years that St. Jude's been around. But look, as with all of these things, I mean, let's be real. What, what about the other 20, right? 80% not enough. It needs to be 100%. Pediatric cancer is still the leading cause of death by disease among U.S. children aged 14 years and younger, and it's worse in other countries all around the world too. And that is something about St. Jude. St. Jude is a hospital in Memphis, Tennessee just so happens to be where Stephen and his family are from. Just complete luck, really. Mm-hmm. But while they are an institution in Memphis, Tennessee, which is both a research hospital, so they treat children there, but they also research these diseases. They share that work with the world. They care for patients from all over the world. Like That's a thing that they do. And also none of these families ever receive a bill from St. Jude. They cover housing, travel, food, and treatment. So families can just focus on making sure that their child can be as happy as they can be and that their child can live. That is what they are focused on. And all the time, they are learning more about childhood cancer. They are learning more about other life-threatening diseases. And they share this information with the world. This cutting-edge research that they have, they share the results of it. And every year, I get to speak to different doctors and researchers in the all around St. Jude institution. And I'm always blown away by like the depths that they are going to, to try and understand stuff. Like last year I spoke to a neuroscientist, I think it would be the phrase who works at St. Jude. And they were looking into what can they understand about the brain? And like, is there some kind of link between something going on in the brain and cancer cells being developed? They come at this from every single possible angle. And, and that's how they have these breakthroughs there. But all of that work, both treating the children that are there and working on the research to push this stuff forward, it takes time, effort, and most importantly, money. And mm. St. Jude, they are donor-led. They're donor-focused, right? Like that's how this stuff is all paid for. It is by the generosity of people like our listeners who have donated now millions of dollars 
to help the kids of St. Jude. Yeah, it's this is the kind of thing that it's worth funding. The thing to me that is always very impressive is just how they share their results. Like that that to me is one of the biggest things here. Like this is not medical research that is going to be locked away. It's not proprietary. What they can figure out to make things better for kids, they are sharing. And I think that is that's just fantastic as an organization. I give a little bit of information about that. In 2018, St. Jude became the first and only World Health Organization collaborating center for childhood cancer. The goal of this initiative is to raise the survival rate of the six common childhood cancers to 60% by 2030. They have 280 partners as part of their St. Jude Global like initiative as well. It represents more than 70 countries and growing. So they can <laughs> share their research out with everywhere. Like They want to put this out around the world. And also, if you think about it, like for a research institution, the more information they can find out, the better. Mm-hmm. But for us at Relay FM, it just so happens to be in the company's backyard. And so it is like the absolute, for every single reason, perfect charity for us to turn our attention to every year. We are so incredibly grateful for the generosity that the community has shown over the last five years. We are asking, once again, for you to support the life-saving mission of St. Jude. We are aiming this year to push our overall amount raised to over $2.5 million. Like That's where our goal is right now. If we hit the goal that we've set which is just under $300,000, we will have passed $2.5 million together. But obviously, we want it to go even further. Please go to stjude.org slash relay. If you make a donation of your own, if you donate $60 or more, we send out some digital stuff to you, wallpapers and screensavers. If you donate $100 or more, we send out stickers. But you can also set up to fundraise. This is one of the ways that you can do something also to get even more money. Like if you can't afford it or you can only afford a small amount, you could set up a fundraising campaign of your own. You could talk to your friends, your family, your own community and raise more money for the kids of St. Jude that way. Fundraisers who raise at least $1 will receive a challenge coin. Fundraisers who raise $250 or more receive this desk mat with just the most incredible design. <laughs> it's so good. Uh, you can go to stjude.org slash relay. You can see these designs there and you can also find out more. If you make a donation and you work at a large company, please click the search employer button on the donation summary page. You can then do a check to see if your employer offers a matching gift program. If they do, you'll get emailed some information about how to have the match credited. Basically, this means in a lot of instances, your donation could be doubled by your employer. So please check that because you can make your donation go even further. Please go to stjude.org slash relay to learn more and donate today. St. Jude won't stop until no child dies from cancer. With your support, we'll be one step closer to that day. One cure closer, one child closer. This month and every month, let's cure childhood cancer together. So you mentioned, as part of your High on Gray, I Managed Spreadsheets discussion <laughs> earlier, that you took a business book on your graycation. I took the book I mentioned before, Mike. I took oh. Understanding Variation, The Key Ooh. to Managing Chaos by Donald J. Wheeler. The classic. <laughs> okay. So for context, this was the book that you were referencing a little while ago. We spoke about it on the show where me and you were having a conversation and I just didn't understand any of the words you were saying. 
but it was all about like <laughs> logistics management. Okay, yeah. So I picked up this book because my goal was I wanted to read what mathematical tools do people in business use? Because as head of logistics, like this is now my responsibility. And instead of just playing around with spreadsheets with some of my like old physics stuff, it's like, let me see how business people do this. I can't remember how, but I somehow stumbled upon this book as like a place to start. Mm-hmm. And we sort of mentioned it a while ago and I started reading it. I implemented some of the things and then I was like, you know what? I want to make sure I finish this. So I did bring it on the trip and I did <laughs> my only recreational reading on the entire two and a half weeks was this book, I guess. And I was like, oh, we should make like a Cortex book club out of this, right? Like this totally makes, and then I, then I thought, I can't do that to Mike. I'm not going to make Mike read this book. That's a terrible idea. Let me tell you, I want to just let you know right now. Yeah. That wasn't going to happen. No? <laughs> no, because I just know I wouldn't have been able to do it. Okay. All right. So that, that just was never really on the table. No, because I mean, like I could have tried, like none of the information is going to stick in my head. You know, it would have uh-huh. been, I feel like it would have just been a wasted book club. Yeah. I mean, but like I sent you the one joke that was in the book and you enjoyed that part. I did it, but <laughs> I did enjoy that. But I feel like maybe that was the only part I would have enjoyed. Can you explain what, like roughly what that was? Because it is kind of a very strange thing to put in a book like this, I think. I'll tell the joke in a second, but the, okay. here's, here was my pitch, right? I was thinking like, I like this book. We have a show. We, we talk about business stuff. Like mm-hmm. this is now part of it. I was like, we should do it as a Cortex book club. I can't subject Mike, my friend to that. That would just be cruel. And like, the, that would be no good. So what I wanted to do is I just wanted to give like a super quick kind of mini one-sided Cortex book club just on this book that I read of like, so it just didn't hang as a thing that we mentioned and kind of never came back. So I just, I kind of wanted to run through like, I think this actually is useful for people with small businesses. And I just kind of wanted to do like, here's here's some key parts for this. Mm. But the thing that I sent to Mike, there's this kind of effect, right? Like you're reading a book, it's very dry, I don't know how to even explain this. This really looks like the kind of book that was written on a typewriter. I don't know if that's true, but somehow it just like gives me that feeling. It's very mathy kind of book. But then sometimes like there's just like a, a little bit of a joke in, in a way. And so there's like this book, it's running you through a bunch of examples of like, here's how to analyze this data from this business. And then all of a sudden, like a third of the way in, the author he just makes this this comment he's like oh here take a look at this figure for pounds scrapped in july for this company and then he says do these comparisons answer all of your questions about the scrap levels in this process are you ready to go on to some other line in the monthly report surely this must be enough and then you like a few pages later in the book he picks it up with like Did you feel satisfied with the treatment of the scrapped pounds data given on page 73? If you did, you should skip this section. In fact, you might as well skip the rest of the book. You have a terminal case of numerical illiteracy. What is wrong? Who hurt this guy? You know? I thought it was like, I took it as a very funny joke in a way, because it's like, no one on earth who is reading this book is going to be the person with the case of like terminal illiteracy, right? Like he waits until you're like well into this very boring book to drop a little thing and then be like, oh, hey, this chart. Are you happy with this chart? We'll just come back to that later. And then he's like, hey, remember that chart? Uh, You weren't happy at all, right? 
Of course you were. It's like, now let's go into why you shouldn't be happy with this. But it's just like such a weird tone shift in the middle of what is otherwise like incredibly dry writing. No, but you see, but I- th- th- that, that is funny, right? But like if I put it through the lens of a Cortex Book Club book, that's mm-hmm. the part where I would would have broken the camel's back for me. Yeah, no, no, that right? would have been, that would have been furious if you were I being would have forced been to read so this. So mad <laughs> to be like, oh, so you just made me read this whole thing and it was pointless, <laughs> right? Like, can you like like oh, like just this chapter or whatever, right? Oh, you're reading this information, okay? Right. This guy literally wastes the reader's time. <laughs> Right, like one hundred percent, he is doing that just to prove a point to, like, yeah. I don't know, Jim or something. You know, like, yeah, I no, imagine no. this is solely focused on an individual in his life <laughs> that did this. Yeah, it is a little bit like the thinking fast and slow thing, where he's like, "Hey, why don't you solve this problem?" And then, like, "Oh, actually, right, that was impossible to solve." Ha ha! Like you <laughs> fell into my logic puzzle. You know, did like, you <laughs> think that person was a banker? You're wrong for dumb reasons. It's like, yeah. <laughs> Great, thank you. What I particularly love, what really like charmed me about this little interlude from the guy. So he does this thing about like, you know, you determine a little numerosity, whatever. But then he says, like, for all of you who felt a bit cheated by that previous graph, like, let's go on to analyze the data in a more satisfying way. When I was reading the book, I genuinely did have the experience of like, I do feel cheated by that report of monthly scrapped pounds in July. Like, that is not an adequate data table at all. I would like to continue the story, please. So, yeah, this is like a very weird book to have read. But... I genuinely really liked it, and I found it super useful. Basically, here's my little summary of what this is. And if like, if anybody listening runs a small business and you either deal with inventory or you have some kind of quality control issue where it's like, okay, you need to make sure that there's not a certain number of errors, you know, higher than every hundred or whatever. I think this book is totally worth reading and looking through if you're not really using anything to track this kind of stuff. What do, what do you mean if you're not using something to track it? Is you saying the idea of like, this will help you establish something so you could track it? Yeah, so you have a problem. The problem that we had is we were just kind of guessing about how much stock to buy every time we had to make an order yeah. we were doing the thing of like oh this this number of theme system journals is low and then we like lick our thumb and hold it up to the wind and go like uh i don't know how many more should we buy what does it feel like well mike would say he used his gut but that isn't a good way <laughs> to make decisions but that was what i was doing you know like i felt like there was some knowledge going there but it wasn't actual math of any kind yeah exactly and Tons of businesses, just like ours, can get by on like gut decisions for a really long time. So I, th- I think this is like a good book if you're in that position. Like you've been doing a thing, you've been kind of just like eyeballing it this whole time, but maybe you want to try to be a bit more rigorous about like knowing exactly what you need to buy. Or again, he's a lot of his examples are in the they're not as relevant for us, but it's in the case of like errors per widget kind of problems that you're dealing with. And so like, how do you track this? And the basic concept is what he calls a process control chart, which that's where this title comes from, like the key to managing chaos, right? The idea is you want to try to get all of your systems under control. And by this, he's talking about statistical control. And really, What you're just doing is say, take whatever data you have. In our case, it's like notebooks sold per day. You track them by time and you just make a little graph 
over time that shows you what is the average result. And he walks through some steps of how to create a little line on that graph, which basically is a line where you can say, hey, if your daily numbers ever cross this line, something very different has happened and you need to investigate what that different thing is. Ah, uh, okay. This is like unlocking a thing that I've just been hearing from you a lot recently, which is these kinds of ideas of like, oh, we need to make this change or do this or analyze this or test this because the graph changed. Like you, mm -hmm. you keep referencing like the language is different, but like that there has been a statistical outlier here. Why? And we need to look into that. So one of the points he makes in the book, which I think is really good, is everyone just kind of underestimates how random things can be in life. And so this is one of the things that we deal with in our business is our data. In physics, you would say that the data is very noisy. But what I mean by that is the daily sales can vary a lot for just like totally inscrutable reasons, right? We have days where it's like, oh, we sold four times as many as the day before. Why? No idea, right? It, oh, well, we sold none today. Yeah. It's, <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's very strange. Or like we referenced yeah. Saturdays yeah. before, but now Saturdays in the last couple of weeks have been fine and Sundays have I, been a problem. I swear to I, like this is one of these things. I swear to God, it's like the universe heard us talk and heard us that we figured out that Saturday was a bad sales day. And like ever since that episode, Saturday well, sales have gone up. <laughs> I mean, the, the thing here though that I've considered is maybe it's not the universe. Maybe it's just literally our listeners. Yeah, I mean, it could be that. <laughs> like it's not the universe. Like there are people that heard us say it and maybe yeah. they're like, oh, I want to buy a theme system journal. Oh, I'll get it on Saturday instead. <laughs> right, <laughs> just yeah. Like, just like mess up the charts for Greg. Yeah, right, so... <laughs> In computer science, you'd call that an adversarial situation, right? You're trying to figure out a pattern and there is an adversary working against you trying to figure out the pattern. Okay. Most businesses don't have to deal with that as an issue. <laughs> yeah. I was just filling in some of the sales data yesterday and, and it's like, oh. On that note, a thing that, that yeah? you've filled in the chart. I was very surprised the other day. I opened our spreadsheet and was like, hang on a minute. The numbers are already in here. I was very confused about this because I put the numbers in and you put the numbers in. This was very strange to me. Mike gave me the backend login yeah. where some of the data has been locked away from me. And so, of course, no, no. I'm, gonna, I'm going to obsessively <laughs> check that information. Away. The difference was like you could have always logged into Cotton Bureau and got the information, but you just never asked for the login information. But we have recently set up a team one password. So now you yes. do have it whether you asked for it or not. I was never keeping yes. it from you. However, there is a thing which does make me nervous, which is like, you could just delete the products now. I'm not saying you would. Yeah, obviously. I get it, though. Right. Like whenever you start sharing information with other people for like the dashboard that controls everything, yes. it's very nervous, right? No matter how much you trust the person. Because it's like, I mean, like I've used mm. this stuff for ages and I've never explained anything to you and I've seen the system grow and I know how to use it. And now like you're using it and it's like, oh, God, I know you can, <laughs> but also... It's terrifying. <laughs> yeah. Well, Mike, you never have to worry because I am only obsessively interested in one thing, true, which is true. completing the spreadsheet. That's right? true. But this is good, though, because now I don't need to fill in the data in the spreadsheet. 
Yes, I guarantee you I will always fill that in sooner than you will fill that in because I'm just like desperate to get the logistics statistical updates. Yeah, I did like, wonder sometimes. And I'm surprised you haven't asked sooner because sometimes I'd open a spreadsheet and be like, oh, I haven't been here in a week. And there was also a part of me that's like, how does Gray feel about that? Like, does he want, would he have liked it to have been quicker? Because I feel like every time I open the spreadsheet, there's always a note that Gray has made a change. Always. Every single time I open the spreadsheet, <laughs> it's like there have been changes to the spreadsheet. And I learned a long time ago that there was no point in me checking those because I didn't understand what was happening. Like it was all like formula and stuff. But like that was always funny to me. And I would think, like, oh, am I, you know, I try and do it every few days or whatever, but sometimes a week might go by. And I was always this thing in the back of my mind of like, is he opening it every day? And it's like, there's no new data in here. But now you can do it yourself. <laughs> I will not tell you how often I checked that spreadsheet to see if you had updated things. Mm-hmm. I will just say it was it was one of my like prouder social restraint moments of Gray, don't harass Mike about this. The frequency that he updates the data for our decision making process is fine. Like your obsessive weirdness about wanting up to the minute data does not change any decision Mike has to make. So don't ask him. So that's, I told myself that numerous times of like, don't bother Mike about this. This is not relevant. Well, you have a 100% success rate. You've never asked me. So that is good. I'm very pleased with myself for that. I'm not going to lie. It was quite hard sometimes. You deserve the commendation for it because I understand it. Because, I mean, I guess this is maybe somewhat frustrating for you. I check the data a couple of times a day. Right, like I look to see what the sales are mostly on the Sidekick Notepad, like once or twice a day. Like it's a tab that I have open in Safari, but I don't then take that information and put it in there because it's also like. Boy, I'm glad you didn't tell me that. I'm glad I didn't know that. Right, but it's it's also because it's not helpful, right? Because like, yeah, to me it's like, well, it's only helpful for me to put the information in when the day is completed, and so like Mm -hmm. I would just do it every two or three days, maybe mostly. Mm -hmm. But that is funny of like. Yeah, I mean, I do check the information frequently, but there was just nothing I could do with the spreadsheet, so I'll just leave that for a little while <laughs> to go. This episode of Cortex is brought to you by Memberful. Sometimes taking a risk is the move you need to make to get to where you want to be. Have you ever told yourself you're ready to monetize that work that you're so passionate about? Well, now there's no excuse because Memberful makes building a membership business easy. Memberful has everything that you need to run a membership program. It has a streamlined and powerful checkout for your customers. It has an easy to use member portal for you, transactional emails, and a member management dashboard so you can get a full view of the analytics for how your membership program is performing. Memberful lets you build the membership that is best suited to your audience. They give you custom branding, newsletters, podcasts, gift subscriptions, Apple Pay, free and paid trials, automatic referral discounts, and tons more. All with analytics to give you an easy-to-use, in-depth view of what's working, what's not, and where to double down. Memberful seamlessly integrates with the tools you're already using, like MailChimp, WordPress, Stripe, Discord, and more. And if you need them, you can contact their world-class support team to help you simplify your membership and grow your 
your revenue. They are passionate about your success and you'll always have access to a real human. That is something we have valued a lot at Relay FM. We have questions we want to ask the Memberful team and we ask them and we know we're chatting to people there. We have multiple conversations with the same people over at Memberful and they help us because we use Memberful at Relay FM and have for years now. They power all of our membership programs. They help us deliver exclusive content to our members. They help power our Discord. Memberful is the backbone behind all of it. We are so happy with the features that they provide and they're always adding new stuff that we can help leverage to make our membership program even better for the people that sign up. Huge fan of Memberful. They are awesome. Go and check it out right now to see if it could work for you. You can get started with no credit card required. Go to memberful.com slash Cortex. This could be the next great move for your business. Memberful.com slash Cortex. Our thanks to Memberful for their support of this show and Relay FM. I do have this weird thing of like, I never quite know what I should tell you and what I shouldn't tell you. And I, and I really want to try to not overwhelm you with like everything that's happening because it just doesn't matter we have a similar thing here right like you don't try and give me too much information about the sales tracking and the inventory tracking and i don't give you too much information about the product design process Mm -hmm. i'm talking to manufacturers and, and our partners a lot but i'm not giving you all of the information you find out when there is a critical thing that needs to be discussed part of what this book is kind of getting at in a way i can translate as how do you know when something is critical so like how do you know when there is something that you need to discuss with your business partner about this right if you're running a business and you have this kind of division one of you is like the back-end math person and the other person is like the front-end person and dealing with other things like how do you know when you need to discuss things with the other person And this is what I was saying before about the data can be really variable on any particular day. I think we have an unusually spiky business. I think that's a byproduct of both doing this show and it kind of being a business that's on the internet. So I think there's more things that can just randomly affect sales. So the real question is, how do you answer a question like, say one of our products has zero sales on a day and then it has zero sales again. Two days in a row, is that something to worry about? Or is that within the realm of chance? Or on the flip side of it, right? If you have like, oh, sales have doubled one day, and then they're still doubled again the next day. Has something changed? Or is this just two spikes in a row that are next to each other? Like, it's not easy to know the answer to that, especially when, like, as we have discovered, tracking down spikes is just totally pointless. Like, unless it's very obvious, you're never going to know why there were more sales on one day than another. Mm -hmm. The big idea in this book is making these process control charts that are trying to tell you when do you need to worry Or on the flip side, if you've done something in your business, how do you know that it actually had an effect? So, for example, if you start running an advertising campaign, it's like, oh, if you run Facebook ads, Facebook's probably going to always lean on the side of like, hey, these ads were great. You should spend more. How do you know independently Mm. how effective was that actually so that you're just not relying on that other entity? Hmm. Or if you're doing advertising, but it's more along the lines of something like brand recognition, how do you know if it's actually effective? And so Tunnel J. Wheeler, with these process control charts, has a kind of cute way of answering two of these questions. And so one of the things is, it's like, okay, so you put your data on a chart, 
you know, you take sales every day, you measure it, and you calculate the average value, and you draw that line on the chart. So it's like, oh, average daily sales is 10 units. And a really quick way to know if something has changed is if you have six days in a row that are above or below that average line. There's a bunch of math behind this that doesn't matter, but it works out to if you have six days in a row that are above or below the line, the chances of that happening just randomly are less than 1%, or maybe they're about 1%. Six is like the magic number here? Yeah, so, so this is where, again, if, you're, if I'm trying to think of something like, when should I bring up something to Mike, right? If I see we have six days in a row where sales are below average, I can be 99% certain that this isn't just an unlucky run. Something has happened. And so that's an indication of like, is there something broken on the website so that sales aren't going through? Is there something weird that's occurred that, that has happened? It's an indication to start looking into things. And conversely, if you have six days in a row where sales go up, it means something has probably changed. So we have an example for this, which is that we've just integrated Cotton Bureau into both of our YouTube channels. Mm -hmm. So if someone goes to watch one of our YouTube videos, either on my channel or on the Cortex channel, below that, sometimes YouTube will show people, hey, there's notebooks for sale or there's a pen for sale. You might want to check it out. And so... We just did this like four days ago, but I could see already like, oh, average sales are up for all of those four days. It's not six days, but at this point, I'm very certain like we're going to have two more days of above average sales. And then that's an indication of like something happened that was a material change with a 99% certainty that this is not just random. You integrating this thing has had a material effect on the sales. And this is how you actually know. That in some sense is a very simple tool, like just graph your data and put a little average line on it. And you're looking for runs of six above and below. But even for someone like me who has a really math background, the way that I had originally set up our spreadsheets to try to track stuff didn't have that as a like visually obvious part of what was going on. Mm. I was analyzing a bunch of statistics about the data to try to manage our inventory, but I didn't just have a line of like sales and the average line that goes along here. And there's a second part, which is sometimes something happens that's so extreme, you can know right away on that day for sure something has happened. And in the book, he tells you how to calculate this, but there's a line that you can draw for people who know about standard deviation. It's three times the standard deviation. You can draw a line that's significantly above your average. And if on any particular day, the sales like cross that line or like errors per hundred units cross that line, you know something happened that day. You don't need to wait to try to figure out what else it is. This, again, is like a really interesting thing from our perspective, because when I first started doing this kind of stuff and I didn't have this tool available, from my perspective, I know you think about this slightly differently, but from my perspective, I caused a mistake in our business because 
we had had uh, an article written about the sidekick in Inc. Magazine. And that article caused a huge spike in sales. And on a process control chart, this thing showed up as like six times higher than the standard deviation line. Like it's just enormous. Like, you know, immediately, like something happened that is way out of the ordinary. But because of the way that I was analyzing the data, that spike was just getting turned into like, what are our average daily sales numbers? And so I was doing this thing of like very badly overestimating our average daily sales numbers because I was less aware of this spike than I should have been because of the way that I was looking at the data. And so we placed an order that was too high in terms of inventory. Now, it didn't matter. Sidekick sales were strong and like it wasn't really a problem, but it was one of these cases of, oh, from my perspective as like head of logistics, I caused us to be temporarily overstocked because of the way that I was looking at the data. And I wasn't using this like very straightforward tool of a process control chart because it's just not something I had come across in the way that like I was trying to think about how to analyze this particular kind of data. I feel like this little book has been worth its weight in gold for just putting some charts on my spreadsheet to be able to look at the data. And I think it's basically two thumbs up recommend book for anyone who has a small business. Well, again, because like you can hear someone talk about a thing. It's different to see someone work through an yeah, example. Yeah, yeah. And also whenever you read a book, it's different to go through the details of how you're analyzing something. There are like actual examples in the book too, right? Which is like, yeah, yeah. you need that. Oh, and the other thing that I really just liked as a point, which is also just kind of lines up to my overall philosophy of things of like, trend lines matter more than goals he also just makes the good point that a lot of businesses will like set goals that are basically based on nothing and it causes a bunch of problems because your data is noisy or like the world is uncertain enough that it's just not possible to ever hit that goal and so you just get end up in a weird position as a business where it's like, this is a goal that we want to try to achieve, right? We only want one error in a thousand. And it's like, there's no technology on earth that can do that. But you don't know that at the start. So I, I really like this as a model for what you're trying to do is increase the frequency of like six day runs where you're very certain that something has happened. So I think all of this translates to our conversations. Like when I am talking to you about something it is almost always because either on these process control charts or in some of the other methods that i'm doing a thing has crossed what we call statistical significance to be able to say even with noisy data where random things happen all of the time we can be very certain that this event is not random that we can point to something that has caused this to happen or we need to figure out what is the thing that has caused this to happen. So that's like when I bring stuff up to you. So anyway, that's my mini book review of Love Understanding it. Variation, The Key to Managing Chaos by Donald J. Wheeler. I'm very happy you read it. I'm very happy <laughs> I didn't have to read it and that we just got to talk about it. It was genuinely a delight to read. This episode is brought to you by FitBod. When you're looking to change your fitness level, it can be hard to know exactly where to get started. That's why I want to let you know about FitBod. It is an easy and affordable way to build a fitness plan that is tailored just for you. 
You're going to see superior results when a workout program is tailored to your unique body, experience, environment, and goals. Your muscles will improve when they work in concert with your entire muscular system. So overworking some muscles while underworking others can negatively impact results. This is why FitBod has built a powerful algorithm that will learn about you and your goals and your training ability to create a custom dynamic program based on your experience in any equipment that you have, all within an app that makes it incredibly easy to learn how to perform every exercise. They do this by having these exercises that have these wonderful HD video tutorials shot from multiple angles to make sure that learning every exercise is a breeze. They have over 1,400 of these video tutorials. You can keep track of your achievements and personal bests with FitBod's progress tracking charts and integrate it into other devices in your life, your Apple Watch, your Wear a smartwatch, or with apps that you use like Strava, Fitbit, and Apple Health. Everybody has their own fitness path. FitBod uses data to make sure they customize things to suit you. They mix up your muscle groups, exercises, sets, reps, and weight over time, and this will all serve to increase your overall strength and keep your body sharp. This also keeps your gym sessions fresh and fun by mixing up your workouts with new exercises. This is something incredibly valuable to me. Personalized training of this quality can be expensive. FitBot is just $12.99 a month or $79.99 a year. But you can get 25% of your membership by signing up at fitbod.me slash cortex. So go now and get your customized fitness plan at fitbod.me slash cortex. That is F-I-T-B-O-D dot me slash cortex for 25% of your membership. A thanks to FitBod for their support of this show and Relay FM. I want to talk about Substack. Oh, okay. Do you want to talk about this? Mm-hmm. I do. Recently, you moved your mailing list to a Substack mailing list. Right. And I am really intrigued about what your business decision is for doing this. And also, I think maybe I would like to still understand, like, in 2023, how important is an email newsletter for you? As a YouTuber. Because, like, Substack, right? Most people know Substack, or I know Substack, because, like, it is a platform for writers, right? It is a platform for journalists, storytellers to be able to create a monetized newsletter system that they can send out. And then there's also just, like, a whole ecosystem based around Substack. I guess kind of like a patri- like like a company Patreon is what I'm talking about, not like an individual in the sense of like Patreon is a thing that you have and you are like a Patreon creator, right? And you have your Patreon, but also Patreon is a platform that offers different tools and also like a front end to a user. So differently would be say what you were using before, MailChimp, right? MailChimp is just a mechanism. There's no like, I'm going to the MailChimp website and browsing different things to subscribe to. So like Substack has its own kind of like way of doing things. And I'm kind of intrigued to understand why you've moved to this and why you even still continue to be so focused on having a newsletter as a YouTuber, primarily, where you realistically just want people to subscribe to the YouTube channel. Yeah, this is a little tricky to talk about because Substack is quite hard to categorize. I feel like Substack as a company and as a business and as a product, they're they're successfully walking a bunch of tightropes where they, they sort of exist 
in between a, a whole bunch of areas. And uh, I, I first became aware of them existing because of I was inspired by you to use RSS more a couple years ago. Maybe it was mm. for last year's theme. I can't quite remember anymore. And I was like, I want to try to make my internet more RSS based. And if you do that, it's like, okay, right. This is where I'm asking, hey, can you please recommend me blogs, right? Generic mm-hmm. blogs I'm looking for. And if you're doing that kind of thing, you're going to stumble across Substack basically immediately. I want to say Substack is like single-handedly responsible for a kind of blogging renaissance in the past few years is the uh, way it seems to me. This is the issue here where it's like i agree but also don't so yeah substack has a business need for them to be substacks not blocks yeah so yeah substack the company doesn't want them to be thought of as blogs i assume they want them to be substacks like that's the name so yeah i don't know i'm being semantic i'm being like no no no, but it's but, but the very reason like the semantics come up is what i was saying at the top it's like substack just exists in an interesting place that makes it a little tricky to talk about and when i say it's it's like single-handedly responsible for a kind of blogging renaissance what i mean is there's motivation again for people to write on the internet particularly yeah. to write long-form things and that's great that that exists Whereas for yeah for a long time it was a kind of desert of writing on the internet it just if you wanted to make a living at it it was extremely difficult to do whereas like i have a business making youtube videos because youtube made it really easy to make a living as a successful video creator it's like they've got this whole platform they can do a whole thing if you wanted to just be a writer it was really hard and i think a lot of people who were talented writers for a number of years, we're putting their effort into other things like video because that was where you could actually make a living at things, mm. even if you didn't primarily want to do video. So for anyone who's not familiar, I would just say like Substack, someone can have a website that basically looks like a blog. They can have a bunch of articles and Substack provides a really easy way for that author to set up a paywall behind which they can put some or all of their content. Mm-hmm. That's what Substack does. And they just make it dead easy to set up. And they're very hands-off. So it's not fair to say that Substack is like a platform, right? You don't go to Substack.com and see, like, what are the hot articles now? Substack allows the individual authors to really have websites that just are their own thing, that it is not immediately obvious that it's a Substack thing. Like, if you know what the look is, you can recognize them. I mean, I don't know. Like, you use it, right? And so that's one thing. But, like, I... Yeah, yeah, tell me. I don't... Okay, so, like, just, like, lay my cards on the table, right? Of, like, Mm -hmm. me here. So we work with, I actually think they're sponsoring this episode, we work with Memberful, which is a part of Patreon, but it's essentially like the plumbing for a membership system rather Mm -hmm. than there being a front end. And I prefer to, and RelayFM chooses to use them because then we own our front end, right? Yeah. And like it's plumbing, essentially. It's all of the things that we need to run Mortex comes that way rather than us doing literally Patreon, right? Which is the other side of the company. 
and having it all be in Patreon system and kind of like a platform. Yeah, yeah, but that like that totally makes sense, right? Like I yeah. think any kind of company should again they're they're a sponsor of this episode so listeners of course you're required to take what i say with a grain of salt now. Yeah. But I, I think any company should run their own system as much as they can with something like memberful right as opposed to running a substack like a substack is much more for an individual like that's what about gray industries is a company yeah gray industries is a company but it's functionally just like a micro company right it's it's not Relay is a thing, right? Like there's lots of people doing their own stuff. It's it's very different from uh, basically. Yeah, yeah, we needed like mechanisms to like build into our publishing system, right? To mm-hmm. to, to make it work, which Memberful provided us. But anyway, my my point more is just like mm. I would never go into a situation like this with a company like Substack and assume what you have said, which is like they are hands off. It doesn't matter to them. Like it's only until it does. Substack mm. have an app which I think they would prefer people to use than the RSS reader. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This conversation is not meant to be like a, a, the values of Substack as a company. I'm more just interested in what you're doing. But it's just it is an intriguing thing to me of like you've moved away from MailChimp, which was just like pure backend to a company. Yeah, MailChimp is pure plumbing stuff. Yeah, yeah a company that is offering like a whole experience, which is a really nice experience, especially as like a user, right? Like I prefer the way that everything looks for you from the emails and stuff now that they're Substack emails rather than the MailChimp emails you were using before. Mm -hmm. But like, I wouldn't necessarily assume that they're always going to want to be hands-off. Yeah, of course. Like companies can change over time. I think that they've structurally built themselves into a little bit of a corner the way they run things on the back end but mm. that sort of doesn't really matter for this for this conversation so like yep. again let's like let's back up for a minute right so how did how did this yeah st- we got like, we got away this isn't even well, the point of this conversation yeah, yeah well i also think this is funny because people might pick up that when i first started doing this you were i think it's fair to say you were kind of trying to talk me out of this you were a bit like i don't know if this is a good idea well my initial thing was i was worried you were going to break something that was my concern mm-hmm. yeah. that was more what i was focused on i think substack is a really interesting idea for you specifically but with caveats my main caveat initially was like I was worried that if you just did the importer that something horrific was going to happen mm-hmm. It just it set off an alarm bell to me when you were just like they're so hands off. It's like mm, that's not a selling point, like I, I, because it's only until they aren't. Yes, of course, of course, yeah. And and Mike is entirely right. Like I'm, we'll get to it, but I'm I'm using this in a way that they clearly don't intend it to be used, which is always a risk. Yeah. Yes, yeah. You're also doing some strange stuff. Yeah, I I could get a call from Mister Substack any day saying get off our platform, right? Like that's very possible. Stop <laughs> linking to Patreon. One yeah. of our key competitors. Yeah, we want exactly. you to do it here, not there. So this is like, how did I come around to this? So there's two directions that this came from. One, I became aware of like, oh, there's this interesting thing that a lot of long form writers are using. Yeah. And I was looking to try to read more blogs. And so I came across these things. And as always, as a user at first, I'm like, oh, some of these people are paywalling stuff. Like, that's annoying. And then eventually some of them get me. It's like, oh, no, this writer's very good. Like, I want to actually pay for their stuff and get the behind the scenes things. And so it's like, okay, now I'm in the system, right? Like, I've crossed that threshold of paying for one of them. And now I'm seeing how this works. And then the gears start turning of like, oh, this business model is the reason that there's more people writing because it's possible for people to make a living at this. Like, huh, that's interesting. So I was a Substack user. And then on the other side of it, 
was basically every year at Gray Industries, at the end of the year, we just do a kind of review of the previous year and like, you know, what what are things that we need to look at? What are things that we need to think about? And one of the things that had been at the very top of the list for several years in a row was, oh my God, MailChimp is mind-blowingly expensive for nothing. (laughs) MailChimp was costing us so much money with a huge email list. And this is a part of the problem of I'm like a weird customer because I just don't think very many content creators are using MailChimp in the way that I'm doing it as a kind of like YouTube fallback, right? I want a kind of messaging system that I can be fairly sure gets to people as opposed to YouTube notifications. Oh, and I guess also for this conversation, we need to disclaim again that MailChimp has been a sponsor. I don't know if much of a disclaimer needs to be like, the company was too expensive and I left. Like, oh, <laughs> you might be in the pocket of big MailChimp. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. Like, here, here, like, people, MailChimp was costing me like more than $1,000 a month. It would be like, at the end of the year, it'd be like, oh, we spent like $14,000 this year on MailChimp to do what? Send 18 emails. It was like, Jesus Christ, right? This is brutal. (laughs) When you say it like that, of like how many emails are sent? Like, because, you know, I know like you have a very, very large email newsletter base, which I understand is probably one of the issues, but like the fact that there's so few emails... That's the issue, right? So here's what was really the brutal fact for me, is that the median month, I was spending more than $1,000 just to let people know that an episode of Cortex went up. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I didn't even think about that. (laughs) Right? Oh, no. Yeah. I support the move to Substack. Right? So, but here's the thing. I I paid that as like YouTube insurance in a way, right? Because I'm very sensitive to this thing of on the internet, if your business exists on somebody else's platform, you can get shut down at any moment. Yeah. And so I'm like, look, this is a ridiculous business expense. Thank you to all of my patrons for like allowing that to happen. But I just viewed it as a kind of like necessary insurance. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. Boy, I'll tell you, like that day that I woke up and I couldn't access my YouTube account for weird reasons that took a while to sort out. Boy, was I thrilled to have an email list that day. It's Mm -hmm. like, okay, great. Like, I'm not totally screwed. I have a way out of this. But nonetheless, it just constantly came up as like, this is a ridiculous business expense. Mm. What can we do about it? And the answer for years was like, There just really isn't anything that we can do about it. Sending out lots of emails is very expensive for other companies to do it. That kind of cost would make sense for almost any other business that was running an email list of that size. But it just doesn't make sense for us because we weren't like using it to promote. Like we've got new products every month. Like there was there was none of that. So it was just a pure loss. And so these two things existed. And one day I realized, oh, Substack I think of it as like a blog front end, but their business proposition is really that they're an email list and they kind of treat the website part of it as like incidental, like it's almost irrelevant, Mm -hmm. which I still think is very weird business messaging, but that's their perspective on it. It's like, oh, we at Substack, we're actually a paid newsletter service. That's what we do. 
and we just like happen to make websites because people would want like a website but we're actually all about an email service and so i started looking into that and i was like hey i wonder how much substack charges for sending out an email and the answer was nothing they charge nothing right it's free to send out these emails and i was like well that is quite intriguing so this is where mike quite rightly got afraid because Substack is not expecting a customer like me to show up and be like, hey, I have a giant email list that I'd love to import so I can just like use your offer of sending out free emails. Because from Substack's perspective, anyone who would have an email list of my size on their website, again, is a different kind of customer. Someone who would have built up that audience as a writer and had a bunch of people paying for their writing. And also, like an email newsletter of your size, they would have some kind of chart, which maybe a book helped them decide of like, this is going to make us <laughs> this amount of money. But that yeah, is exactly. not your reason for doing this. Like you're an yeah. abnormal customer for Substack because you are not a writer who is writing paywalled content. Like that's who they are creating their platform for. Like yeah. Substack is for writers. Like that's what it's for. And you're not one of those. Yeah. So we'll put an asterisk on that for a moment. So this is how it started. I was like, oh, well, what could possibly go wrong? And then Mike was very concerned and quite right about like many things can go wrong. I just want to state for the (laughs) record as well that you said you just wanted to use like the importer tool. I was like, that is a terrible idea. Like with the size of your newsletter list, it is not built for that. I'm sure. Like I think it worked though, so maybe it was. But like, I would just say, like, please just send an email to someone, anyone first. Yeah. So of course, I didn't send an email to anyone first. I no. uh, I just charged right ahead and hashtag Mike was right because I was like, I'll just use the regular importer, and it was like, no, you will not use the regular mm. importer. They at least built it to like catch people like me and dumped me over into a special system to manually import it so i was like oh okay right they gave me over to a human but i was like i'll just i'll just see if it works i'll just press this button and see if i can import like a hundred thousand emails what could possibly go wrong yeah 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 but okay so here's what my thinking about substack is for me it exists as like a very interesting middle place between YouTube and Patreon. So when I think about YouTube, it's like YouTube is a huge platform, right? YouTube's main advantage is just reach, right? Like incredible reach, like you can get nowhere else. It's totally allowed me to make a living as a creator, but Patreon is really what allows me to survive as a creator. But Patreon doesn't have reach right patreon is is for people who already know that you exist so there's just like there's no way for people to discover you at all substack is very similar to patreon but it has just a tiny bit of reach which i think makes it quite interesting so this is also the thing that you're talking about where it's like okay they have a whole system where if people find your stuff on substack they can reshare it with their own audiences. People can like things and people can see what other people have liked. They do have on the main website, there are leaderboards. So you can see who are popular creators on Substack. And they have the app 
at like which they push right. people and towards. They, have, they yeah. want people to download the app, and then obviously it's an app that they control, so they can like surface any content, make recommendations, you know, recommended articles, recommended sub yeah. stackers, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so there's reach there. It's not huge. But it's more than something like Patreon, which basically has no reach at all. And what I also think is a really key feature here is that, again, as a user, you cannot be aware that uh, multiple people are using Substack. But when you decide to like sign up to become a paying member of someone's Substack, at that moment, they can give you discounted offers on other people on the platform you might be interested in. It's like, ah, that's very interesting, right? Like, oh, we, you know, if, if you're signing up for this person, we think you'd also like this person. You might already read this person and we can give you like a 50% discount if you want to sign up as a member for them. So this to me is where like, ah, it's quite interesting to have this thing that's in between. It doesn't have as much reach as YouTube. Right now, it doesn't have the kind of earning for Patreon, but it exists in the middle of these two. And so I was being very slow and very deliberate about trying to figure out how can I actually make this work for me? And I know, again, this seems like it's nothing, but it ended up being just like a hugely complicated project that I had like calls with my assistant and we're working out details for is there a way we can actually use the Substack membership program that is consistent with the way things both work on YouTube and Patreon so mm -hmm. we can like have another system here because what I always wanted out of a giant email list like MailChimp was a kind of YouTube insurance but Years ago, I think you called it by like nuclear bunker or something like this is if there's a total disaster, right? This is where you retreat to, but it's not like a great option. And I think Substack is the first thing I've ever seen come along in my career as a professional creator that seems like, oh, I think this actually kind of can be an actual additional platform that I could exist on. That's like a real backup, right? Not just a total emergency backup. So we spent a lot of time working it all out and, and figured out what I think is a pretty reasonable system of like, we simplified our rewards across all of the different places people can sign up to try to make things consistent with each other so that Substack could fit in the middle here. And if people were Substack users, they could sign up as members there instead of on YouTube or instead of on Patreon. And so far, like, it seems to be working. But boy, it was this, like, slow and delicate and trying to see if things would work and, like, moving it just, like, one piece at a time and just, like, testing, testing, making sure nothing went wrong, testing, testing again, making sure nothing went wrong. I've only just started. I am very willing to bet that on the platform, I am a huge outlier in terms of there is nobody with as big of an email list who makes them the least amount of money versus anyone. Like I just have to be the biggest outlier there. This is one of the reasons why it's like, I hope Mr. Substack doesn't come along and say that he has a problem with me. You never want to be this person. Yeah, this is totally a problem, right? Yeah. There's like an additional problem here, right? Which is also my members only content 
is video, right? The most expensive thing to host. So I don't even know what kind of calculations they've done behind the scenes of like, how many videos can they host versus like, how many members does someone need to have before they're like losing money on that person? Mm -hmm. Like what's happening here is a kind of business to business relationship. It's like, and you never want to be like the weird outlier who is potentially just causing problems, right? If you're a weird outlier and you're a huge source of money, that's different, right? That's great. But if you're the weird outlier who you're like, oh, I've got 100,000 people on my email list and like 0.0001% of them are paying members, it's like that is not the, the kind of outlier that you want to be. But all of this is, from my perspective, a risk worth taking because of just this feeling about Substack as a platform of like, it is the first as a business viable alternative platform that I have seen really since YouTube that has some kind of reach to it. So I think that's high level, all of my thoughts about why did I try to make this move? Why have I put in a lot of work behind the scenes to try and make this happen? And why am I willing to risk being a weird outlier on this platform? Have subscribers noticed? So part of the reason I'm so cautious is when your business is basically in the entertainment world, right? You have to think about your audience. And I've said before, I often think of the audience as being like a bunch of concentric circles and a bunch of overlapping circles. There's different groups and you need to kind of be aware of that. And you have to really care about your most core audience, the people who most like what you do, the people who are most engaged with what you make. And I've always assumed like anyone who signed up to the email list is much more likely to be a kind of core audience member, someone who's really interested and who really cares. And so because of that, that sort of person is also much more likely to notice when things are different. So this is part of the reason why I was being so cautious. But I finally had to throw caution to the winds when I put up the Ken Chess with Hexagons video. Mm -hmm. It's like, all right, this is going to be the first one that just properly goes out to the entire former MailChimp list that is now a Substack list. And... Boy, was that a nervous day. I'm like, I'm going to see how this goes, right? There's probably going to be a lot of feedback. Like, this is going to be a day of dealing with things. Well, I mean, it's email. So, like, the, the real worry that you have, I know it's Substack, but so they should have worked this out. But what if all your emails just go to spam? Yep, that's, that's the other thing, right? This is the terrifying, oh, on 100,000 people's email system, I'm now coming from a different address, right? Like, absolutely breathtaking. And... Totally shocking to me. One, all the emails went through as best I could tell. Two, I didn't get a single piece of feedback from anyone about this. And I was like, I can't believe this. How have I made what seems to me like such a monumental change? How have I spent so much time on this? I've been like, you know, working with two other people to like make this happen, get everything all set. It's like, oh God, you know, people, you change anything. And like people always have yeah. comments on it. And I did this nothing i couldn't believe it it was it was the most surprising part of the whole process it's like i was trying to think about it. i was like did people not 
notice like i just don't even know but it's like nothing seemed different about the email it's like they went out i could see the open rates you know it wasn't like no one was seeing it. it's like no people were opening up the emails they were clicking links some people signed up as Substack members and there's like not a peep about what seemed to me like one of the most dramatic back-end business changes i've made in years <laughs> so sometimes you can really get things wrong but right at the same time right well, like it's one of those things you hear nothing and it's fine, even yeah. though it is strange. Well, I mean, we'll see long term if this works out, but I'm just really intrigued in a way that I never have been before. And I think one of the things that's, that's just a good sign about like when is something interesting is I don't think I will do it, but I have caught myself wondering sometimes like, oh, does it make sense again to maybe just write something? Like, is there something that you can just write that you don't have to turn into like an extremely well-scripted, polished, ultimately going to be animated thing? Like, does there exist uh, future articles? And years ago on the show, I know we had some conversation about why I stopped writing articles. Mm -hmm. And it was exactly what I said before of it just didn't make any sense as a thing to do there was no way to monetize it it does take effort to do and it was like that effort was just 100 percent better spent on making videos so i don't think i will do this but it's just interesting to note where does your brain go and it's nice to feel like oh this is a possibility again this could actually make sense as a thing to do now that there's real incentives to do that but in the meantime, I'm just going to keep using Substack for as long as they will let me and putting up members' videos and just seeing how that goes as a kind of YouTube fallback slash email distribution place. 